Hello, it is your friendly neighborhood Hannah here, interrupting Sophie in classic Hannah fashion. Um, for reasons that are a little more personal than I was comfortable sharing on the podcast this week, I have decided to sit this movie out. Um, but I did want to say that I really, really appreciated the movie. Um, and I think it is fucking amazing and like a movie that every person, but especially every man, um, should be required to watch at some point in their life. Um, and I think it's precisely because the movie was so effective, um, is why I can't talk about it, um, just because my own stuff that it brings up, but, um, I just would be remiss if I didn't get to at least join in enough to say that it was fucking bomb. It should be required along with sex education in schools. Like, I just think, ugh, it was the tops. That's the best I can say about it. Um, but I know Sophie and Cece are gonna fucking kill it. So go ahead and take it away, ladies. Welcome to another episode of 28 Days Later. I am one of your hosts, Sophie. My lovely co-host, Hannah, could not be here this week. We had some scheduling stuff going on, but we brought back a favorite guest, Cece. Welcome back. Hello. Uh, Cece, I'm so glad you could be here to join for this movie discussion. I'm literally just looking over my notes and thinking, like, this episode could literally go on for the entire day, so we'll just, like, do our best to keep it tight. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was going to say, I, you know, I think that it's, um, you know, it covers just a multitude of issues that we can both, you know, just wax on about. So, you know, at any time, be like, okay, we got to wrap this up. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, Cece, how have you been since you were last on the show? Um, You know, good. Just, um, you know, I feel like I'm... I know we also like we're in this weird pod of like never venturing outside of our houses, but um, yeah, you know, I've been on maternity leave and um, which I appreciate you making the time in the middle of the day on a Saturday to record, <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, I'm slowly trying to integrate myself back into quote unquote real life and man, it's, I don't know that I want to be in real life, but it's intense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have like, um, speaking of going back into real life, it's really funny because um, The Invisible Man was the last thing that oh Jeremy and I saw in theaters in 2020. Actually, um, that was the last movie I saw in theaters too. I feel so blessed that I didn't get to, I didn't go see Cats in theaters. Like so many people were like, Cats was the last thing I saw in theaters. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, but the little indie theater by us um, that folks on the podcast, I've talked about it a lot. And if you're in the Kansas City area, you're probably familiar. The independent theater here in KC, we love Screenland Armor. Um, they're a pretty small operation. And so they, I mean, all small businesses and especially theaters and venues have been hurting during COVID. Um, but they've been hit especially hard because they're, they're a pretty small uh, business and they don't have like a huge um, 
windfall behind them to sort of keep them going. And so they've taken some really, really um, proactive measures. They have been reopened indoors for quite some time, but Jeremy and I have not been to any of their indoor screenings. And it's not necessarily because we don't feel safe about it. Like, in fact, all of the um, COVID measures they're taking make me feel like it wouldn't be significantly more dangerous than like going to the grocery store or other things Mm -hmm. that we're doing. I'm not saying that all movie theaters are this way. Please don't just assume that your movie theater is safe. (laughs) Um, But like our theater has, um, they've blocked off like every other row of seats. You can only sit in groups of two and every group has to be at least four seats away from the next group. And they sterilize the entire theater in between screenings and they've also in, you have to wear a mask the whole time unless you're like actively eating your popcorn and mm-hmm. they um, they actually, the thing that matters the most for us, I think, that makes us feel the most secure is they've actually installed UVC light filters. That are, That's like what hospitals use to sterilize equipment. Oh, um, wow. They've installed UVC light filters in all of their air ducts so that they're also like, not just like circulating the air, but really trying to filter germs out. So yeah. we're actually going to see Promising Young Woman tonight because I watched it without him. So I love the idea that like, my last movie in theaters was Invisible Man, and I'm making my re-entry to theaters with Promising oh, Young yeah. Woman. It just feels like a beautiful, <laughs> a beautiful pair. Yes, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good. Um, they're they're very synonymous with one another. Yeah, it's it's going to be great. So I'll give a, a brief plot synopsis. Um, so Promising Young Woman was technically released in 2020, although I'm going to be lobbying hard to count it on my best of 2021 uh, list since it came out so late in the year. Um, because of COVID. And the movie stars Carrie Mulligan as a young woman named uh, Cassie or Cassandra. Cassie was in medical school but has dropped out. And over the course of the movie, we sort of get um, more and more information about why she dropped out. And we learn, um, I think it's clear pretty early on that a friend of hers that she was also in med school with was the victim of sexual assault and that it is the fallout from that event that caused her to drop out. Now we will learn more as we go, but that's sort of where we start off. Um, Cassie is uh, 30 years old. She's living at home with her parents, working at a small coffee shop. Um, And in the evenings, she likes to go to bars and pretend to be blackout drunk. And when creepy dudes take her home, she teaches them a lesson. so I should say right off the bat, we're going to get full of spoilers in this conversation. So yeah. <laughs> I think I speak for both of us when I say, if you haven't seen this movie, please go watch it before you listen, because it is worth your time. It's a great movie. Um, and let's get into it. Uh, Cece, tell me your like initial reactions to this movie. Um, all right. So I saw the preview for this um, back in 2020. I, I mean... I can't remember the first movie that I saw the like I you know I can't remember the movie that I first saw the preview for yeah. it. And it was way back though. I feel like this trailer was out before COVID happened and then I was like, "Oh no, are we not going to get right? it?" That's what I was thinking. I was like, "Man, now that I like try to remember, it seems like it, it had been like teased for quite some time." So, I was super excited. Um I uh, was really looking forward to it and I was kind of I was kind of worried that um, you know, it was going to do the whole like tenant thing where it was only released in theaters and that we would have to wait a while before we could see it on demand. Yeah. 
Um, so luckily, you know, I was very stoked when I could see it on demand. However, of course, as you know, as hard as you try, like to not have things spoiled, um, I definitely had seen nothing spoiled, but that I had seen a lot of discourse already about the ending. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I was kind of upset because I was so looking forward to this. And I was like, you know, people who I, whose opinion, opinions, excuse me, especially like women or um, those identifying as women's um, opinions about it are, I mean, like so many people were kind of like, I, I, I'm so mad about the ending. I'm so this and so that. And I was just like, well, I don't know how I feel about watching this now. Mm-hmm. But all of that being said, um, I really, really enjoyed this movie and I'm glad that even though my, my, um, take on it was a little skewed because I was kind of like waiting, like with bated breath this whole time to like be disappointed in the ending or to like really be offended by the ending. Um, I, I like the further away from it I am, the more I continue to like it, the longer I think about it. So yeah. I, um, I think that, you know, there's, to start off, like, it's beautifully shot. Like, I appreciate that it has a super feminine lens. Like, there's, you know, everything's very, like, stereotypically pink and, like, shiny and very, like, there's a lot of, like, florals and girly things. And Yeah, there's, like, like, so much pastel and neon in this movie. Yeah. And it's, but it's done in such, like, deafness like 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 it's not deafness but like you know it's handled so well like it's handled with such a um I I don't like a clever graceful gracefulness Mm -hmm. that um I mean there like there's shots in this movie that I would like if I could print them and like hang them as photographs in my house I totally would like it was definitely super super well done and then on top of that you've got (laughs) You've got all of these actors who, first of all, I just want to say, too, I had read an interview um, where Carrie Mulligan was talking about how, you know, she was excited to be a part of this, but then that she was already getting such, like, pushback about not being attractive enough Mm. to, to lead, like, to be this lead character, which I think speaks volumes about what this movie, like, revolves around anyway you know like I I think that it sucks that that for women to like that that there's a view that only attractive women are assaulted or that you know you're not attractive enough to even like you know warrant being assaulted and like there's this weird like backhanded underhanded kind of not I mean to sing compliment compliment makes me feel sick to say but you know what I'm trying to like get at no like that, yeah I definitely do yeah that like, it's like you're a... not like you said it's like you're not even quote-unquote like conventionally attractive enough to be right like desirable for me to like assault you is right. such a gross thing yeah yeah and you're like well should I want to be that attractive like what the hell like so I already appreciate like that is a huge part of the conversation around this movie and I mean on one hand, I really appreciate that. But on the other hand, like it sucks as a, as an actress, like trying or not just an actress, but as an actor, just trying to like do this movie that, you know, is really pertinent and timely. And then to have to like battle that is just, I mean, ridiculous. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, I really, really appreciate that the, all the guys that were cast in this movie 
are the stereotypical and and typecast quote unquote like nice guys. Yes. Like you've got Schmidt from New Girl. You've got um, fucking Adam Brody. Right, Adam Ugh. Brody, who was like, yep. <laughs> I mean, toxic in his own way from the OC, but like, <laughs> you know, but still like the geeky boy next door that you're like, oh, you know, yeah, he's a little like eccentric, but you know, he means really well and he's really sweet. He'll, you know, he just idolizes you and puts you on this pedestal. So like, and then you have, <laughs> you have McLovin. Um, I hate that. I, I kind of hate, but also love that I can only think of the guys from their like quintessential roles. Right, um, right. So you have McLovin, and then you have, um, I can only think of him as the husband from um, Dave and Mike Need Wedding Dates, but you have him. <laughs> Richard Splatt from V. Yes. That's how I yes. think of him, yeah. <laughs> so sorry. Um, and then um, you've got, oh, what's his name from Glow, and um, of course, I love Bo Burnham. Like, I think he's yeah hilarious and I love his stand-up and I really appreciate that (laughs) that he was the one who was kind of like I mean he's kind of the main like I guess you could say love interest um even though like this kind of a secondary um plot in this whole uh, the whole film but um I just I, I really think that the I know you and I had this conversation off air, so to kind of bring it up to talk about it later, like, I really appreciate the thought and care and just, like, very divisively, like, poignant, like, fuck yous that were created in this this whole movie. Like, there was a lot of controlling the narrative and, and making sure you realize, like, this is what I'm trying to show you. And I'm giving you very little to view it in another way. At least like, at least in the beginning, I know that like we can get to the ending and like, there's definitely, and I totally understand other ways of interpreting the ending, but at least like from the beginning of the movie, you're pretty much handed this or shown this, um, this path. And it's like, you're going to stay on this path with me for the duration. Yes, it's, like, very, this movie from the jump, like, knows exactly what it wants you to get out of this experience, and it's gonna, like, hold, in a lot of ways, just, like, make you sit here and go on this journey. Like, there aren't, like you said, because so much of it is, like, really not up to be interpreted interpreted in different ways. Like, there are scenes that you can probably get more or less out of, but mm-hmm. it's not like you can interpret many of these scenes in a drastically different uh, context. So it really is just, like... I know what I want you to get out of this. And so you're just going to like, you need to just sit here and listen to me. Yeah. Um, buckle up because we're, we're in it. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I love what you said about the, the male casting of this. So I actually watched Carrie Mulligan was interviewed on the daily show this week and Trevor Noah brought that up, you know, intentionally. He was like, you, especially all the male leads in this are like really uh, conventionally attractive, likable guys. We're used to seeing them mostly play, nice good guys um and I thought that was so powerful like Mm -hmm. she talked about the idea that they cast these guys intentionally because they could have cast guys you don't know right like you would have had your guard up especially I think for the female viewers and I think 
what this did was even the female viewers who knew what this movie was going to be about and probably know the like visceral feeling of being in situations like this, like they still wanted the audience to come into these situations feeling safe and comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, even well, like despite your, despite your instincts, right? Like, yeah. I mean, um, not yet. I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, I mean, like I totally agree with what you're saying. I mean, you have, you have guys that you, you know, that are, the I mean and I hate the term friend zone but like you know they're you're so used to seeing them go from like friend zone to to love interest and I mean right. you know Schmidt on new girl he's the like quirkiest like best kind of obsessive but like in a really sweet way boyfriend and you're like what okay like it's fine you know he may you know he may make a pass at me, but like, I can tell him no. And he would understand. Right. And so to see them in a, in a more, uh, in a more fluorescent light is very startling. (laughs) For sure. And one of the things I thought was really interesting is Carrie Mulligan in that interview on the daily show talked about how Emerald, um, now I'm going to forget her, her last name, Emerald Fennel, who wrote and directed Mm -hmm. the movie when she would direct the guys, what she would tell them is like, this is a romantic comedy. You are the lead and you are meeting the love of your life. Like she really wanted them going into this, the scenario to like be really genuine and kind. And I think you see that with like, I think a really good example of that, that we can sort of break down is the, the Adam Brody scenario, which is sort Mm -hmm. of the first one we see. Um, And so like this movie opens, we're in a club, you get this like opening sequence. That's all like slow motion. It's very like, flipping the male gaze where it's just like a bunch of totally average (laughs) like mediocre white men dancing in a club and it's shot Mm -hmm. really lovingly and like lots of like upshots of like crotches and asses and you're not getting anyone's face Mm -hmm. um in the same way that we see women shot in club sequences for in perpetuity, right? Yeah. But then it like pulls out khakis. (laughs) Yeah, so many khakis and like it pulls out and it's just like clear how it's just like a bunch of really awkward dudes dancing. Like that was just like from that moment, I was like, I'm so in this movie knows what it's doing. But the scenario with Adam Brody is like, he's with his two friends, one of whom is Sam Richardson, who uh, I know from Veep and you know, from Mike and Dave need wedding dates. Um, (laughs) And they're all sort of like looking at Cassandra who is like sitting alone and she's, like her head is kind of lolling around and she looks like she's having a hard time sitting upright. And the Sam Richardson and the other guy, Jim are like joking about like taking her, like they start off being like, that's so sad. Where are her friends? Like she's asking for trouble. Like she should know better kind of stuff. Right. Like, yeah, totally. And not to, to backtrack too far, but like the first time that we hear them talk though, they're talking about work and how, a yes one of, one of their female colleagues is mad because she's not like I, I guess she didn't go on a golfing trip or or and they were basically like well you know we can't go to strip clubs to do deals anymore so of course we're gonna go to the to the golf course and like yeah and they had a golf, meeting so like, at, at a golf club that yeah. wouldn't let women golf so she couldn't right. go to the meeting yeah so you're already like you're and but 
Adam Brody like kind of defends it a little bit like Mm -hmm. so you know you're kind of like you said given this um I don't know you're kind of lended this lens of well it's not so bad and like yeah he's trying to be a good dude even though like you know his friends are maybe a little a little douchey right like he's not gonna tell them to stop but maybe he'll do the right thing right Right, I think like the line they want us to be on and then he sort of is like okay I'm gonna go see if she's okay which turns into him taking her home and I really liked the way that this scene was like written and shot because I think he tells her like, I'm also going to leave. So she says she's lost her phone and Mm -hmm. he's like, well, you can't call a lift without your phone. Like I'm going to leave now. Why don't we share a lift and it can take you home first. Right. And like she says yes. And you're like, okay, maybe he's being nice. And I think what is really smart is that then when they're in the car, like I think the way she's looking at him could be interpreted that she's interested in him romantically But the more important thing is she is so fucking wasted that she can't consent to anything. So even if she's like, I'm all about this. I want to have sex right now. Like he seems to be pretty sober. So he should be able to be like, actually probably not a great idea. Like what I love about that sequence is I think like, like I said, because they're casting guys that we're used to liking. I think as at least for me, I think as women watching, like, we might be like, oh, I can see where this went the wrong way. And I think if you're a dude, especially, like, maybe your question, I hope this scene is making you question, like, where, where is the line? Like, when does he cross the line? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I think that's a really interesting, like, this one starts off being, like, kind of ambiguous, which I think is really smart on the part of the movie. Oh, sure. And, like, um, not to, like, get too far off, like, too far off of, off into another topic but I think that's a really genius um like a a really genius point that you're making because um I sat through a um I saw (laughs) a viewing of um Psycho of um the original Psycho and afterwards um this film um professor was like taking questions like he had written all this stuff about it and he was like the most pertinent part of the film is really at what point does does it do, do you know that she um that marion crane like makes a de- decision to like quote unquote be bad mm-hmm. and i think that the that scene is really a turning point i mean yes it's so far in the beginning of the movie but it's really a turning point for the whole film because it's like at what point in this interaction that can be totally like I mean it's an interaction that happens daily like multiple times a day and at what point does it change from okay like you're doing something nice or even like you're just trying to get this person home because they're being annoying or you know you're you're over it like at what point does your 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 motive change and it's really interesting in that moment where you've got the Uber driver being like, don't let her throw up in my car. Like I, I like he's acknowledging how drunk she is. Yeah. She's kind of like, you know, waving it off that she's not that drunk. But then Adam Brody is like, Oh, she's fine. Like, yes, we're just going to get her home. Like he had, you know, set up the two stop situation. Like he had every intention of her going home. Mm-hmm. But then there's a moment where 
she said, I can't remember what she says, but she says something and he's like, well, we could go to my place and like have a drink. Like this girl is already drunk off her ass. And like, at what point do you think that a, she needs more drinks or like, you know, like it's a really interesting turning point for sure. And I'm, I'm so glad that you've mentioned that. Yeah. And I think like that sequence is so good because we see, And I mean, we see this in a lot of these interactions right throughout the movie, but we see how many men enable this happening. Like his guy friends let him leave with her. This cab driver, when Adam Adam Brody is like, why don't we both go to my place? She's like, I don't know. And he's like, oh, it's right here. We might as well. Like, do you want to? And Mm -hmm. she says nothing. And he's like, we're going to go to my place. And it shows a very purposeful take of like the cab driver looking in the rearview mirror at her, like, and she's saying nothing. And then he's just like, just put it in the app. Like, you know that cab driver is like, this is a bad idea, but I'm not going to get involved. Definitely. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I I think that too, like it's that whole scene is, is played out so well with his friends because with Adam Brody, like trying to do the nice thing and like be the good guy and, you know, just get this girl home his friends are like, oh yeah, you're totally going to take her home and hook up with her. Like, you know, you like, you know, she, it, it's going to be sloppy, but like, you know, why not? It's a Thursday or something. You know what I mean? Right, like, it's just, right. it, it's really interesting that he fights that, that, um, that suggestion at the beginning. And then, like you said, like there's such a turning point in the scene. So mm-hmm. to move on, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I feel like maybe the best way, like, maybe the best way to, tra- to like, keep the conversation moving, because honestly, I had thoughts about, like, all of the interactions with the dudes, yeah. and we could be here all day, but I would love to, like, maybe do you want to do, like, the greatest hits of her interactions with dudes, and then we can talk about the plot, because I think those things, like, up until the end, like, her interactions with these guys are kind of intercut, and they sort of just, like, are separate from the plot, but they show sort of, like, her motivations, um, um, sure. I mean, the only other, I mean, I know there's several ones, but the only other one I can remember, um, just because I saw it, I guess like two weeks ago, um, was her and McLovin. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's Sam. the, that's the only other one I think that's like a full sequence and there's a yeah. lot going on there. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then, and then when her almost interaction with Sam happens, like, I feel like that's a whole, that's different because that's a that's a plot point rather than sure. a, um, so. I had like a really visceral reaction to her hanging out with, uh, McLovin because like there's this, he does, the thing about this movie that's so good. And like, we don't have to go into this in great detail. Cause I feel like I've said my piece on this movie, but like I texted you right when I finished this movie. And I think I also tweeted this and I was like, if you, are a person living in 2021 and you loved Promising Young Woman, but you're still going to tell me that Black Christmas 2019 was bad. Like, I can't even have a conversation with you. Like, yeah, (laughs) I think like, I think this movie is being just as in your face and like on it. I'm not saying this to say it's clunky because it's not, but like, this movie in a lot of ways is being just as like straightforward and transparent and unnuanced. It's just that like that movie, 
I think there's room to criticize the writing on Black Christmas. I think if you're going to do that, though, you need to talk about the fact that, like, the writer was asked if she wanted to do the project in February and told they wanted to release it at Christmas time. So, like, (laughs) I think that movie would have been this if it had had the time to, like, go through the writing process. But anyway, to that point, there is this scene. I mean, there were so many lines in this movie that, like, really, like, got me right in the gut. But um, Christopher (laughs) Mintz-Ploss who plays McLovin, says to her, like, why do you even wear makeup? Like, I want to see the real you. It's just like, how many men in your life have done this thing (laughs) where they're like, I'm going to be performatively woke, like, Uh and tell you that, like, you look pretty without makeup. You don't have to blah, blah. Like, that made me so, I laughed really hard out loud, but I also, like, viscerally got so angry. Yes. I mean, and and you're right. Like, I... I did watch this with my husband, who is very much like, I mean, I think he was just as excited to watch it as I was, but Mm -hmm. the whole time he was just like waiting for me to be like, okay, what are you going to say about this part? Like, are you going to like, are you going to be so like, not offended, but like, are you going to be so like riled up from it? Or are you going to be like, yo, fuck this dude, like for real? Right. (laughs) And that happened. And I'm with you. Like it happened multiple times that I was just like yelling at the television <laughs> right like I I have a very vivid memory like and I know Hannah's not here but Hannah and I had an experience several years ago with like a very close friend of our family he's really good friends with my brother and like we were my sister and I and my brother and his wife were like out to dinner with my parents um the night before Thanksgiving several years ago and like we went to like a very um bougie private high school and we were on financial aid to go there and it was a whole thing like people at that school it's like I think this is true at all high schools but especially this high school like status and the clothes you wear and your makeup it was like all so on point because everybody was super wealthy mm-hmm. so like we're all at the dinner with my parents so Hannah and I both like are just dressed like I feel like you get that like any of my ladies that are listening and CC you'll get this like I didn't expect to like see anyone. So I like I had my glasses on, my yeah. hair was just like in a top knot. I didn't have makeup on. I was like I'm going to dinner with my family. I don't need to like put my my war makeup on, right? But right. while we're out, my brother's friend is texting him like, "Hey, a bunch of people from school are like all at this bar together since everyone's home for Thanksgiving." And so we all went to the bar um from dinner and my sister and I were kind of like talking about how we were just kind of stressed out because like for my brother it doesn't matter like he's a dude and the way he looks for most scenarios is like acceptable in basically all situations yeah um and his friend like who we both he's like our he's like an honorary brother like we've known him our whole lives but he just like did the same thing where like we said something about feeling self-conscious because like we both had our glasses on and didn't have makeup on. And he like started to lecture us about how like that's bullshit and we don't have to wear makeup. And I was like, it's really cute for you to say that, but like people treat me differently when I have makeup on than when I don't. And like, I try to not wear makeup for that reason. Like my goal is to only wear makeup when I want to, because it's fun. But, like, the reality is people treat you differently when you just, like, look like you didn't get up at five and put an entire, like, layer of makeup on and do your face and your hair. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I said pretty much the exact same thing when he, in that moment in the scene, and I was like, 
I don't, I can attest that most women I know don't say they wear makeup for men or to like be attracted or like to be attractive, to be more attractive for someone else, but more so out of respect of other women or just other people in general. Like it has nothing to do with trying to be sexy. (laughs) Right. And I think the other thing is like, yeah, most women would probably agree with you that like societal uh, beauty standards exist, but like, I don't need a straight white guy telling me it's bullshit. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Like Like, I'm get out of here. It's very, very much bullshit. (laughs) Um, And then we can like breeze through her interaction with, uh, the guy from uh, Mike and Dave Needs Wedding Dates, just because, like, it's so in passing. But, like, I loved, because, like, their interaction centers around, like, they bump into Bo Burnham. And so this guy is like, oh, I didn't know she was spoken for. Like, I felt totally fine about, like, taking this blackout drunk woman home to, like, take advantage of her. But if she belongs to another man, I can't. But my favorite, (laughs) my favorite thing he does, it's like, first of all, he's like, oh, you're that crazy bitch so-and-so took home. So, like, he clearly didn't learn anything from that. (laughs) Well, and that's the thing. It's like, you know that Adam Brody, like, at least had to have said something. Like, he may not have, like, totally gone into, like, specifics. But you know he brought up, that like she was crazy and that still didn't detract from him wanting to take her home later on right and like the lesson didn't transfer that like you shouldn't take home women that like can't stand up by themselves right but like my favorite and like you and I had been joking over texts about like getting a tattoo from this movie and this wouldn't be a practical thing but like I almost just want a tattoo of like cartoon Sam Richardson in a, in a fedora like running away crying being like why do you guys have to ruin everything yeah like I've never been so proud to be a woman as I was watching that yeah I was like I do like ruining everything thanks so um yeah so I mean basically (laughs) to to kind of um to I I don't know to kind of emphasize like you have you have Cassie like quote-unquote going to hook up with all these guys and in the process of like hooking up with them or before she even goes to, to hook up with them, you know, they're, they're kissing on her or giving her more drinks or something. And like, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a moment where she, she lets them know, like she, she flips off the switch of pretending to be drunk right, and is terrifyingly sober. And it's so interesting to me. And like, part of me is like, the like very nihilistic part of me is like no like you need to like like live this um salamander like carve like rapists into their chest or something but none of that happens like she literally just like like verbally berates them for taking home a drunk girl and trying to hook up with her against her consent and that like scares these guys straight enough to like well we don't see if they ever do it again but at least in the moment they're very much like terrified of of you know being labeled a rapist and it's so interesting the dynamic of how scared they are I don't know maybe not a I don't know it's I guess a testament to like maybe cancel culture or just like the whole me too movement that guys are more worried about their reputation 
in being known as like this predator rather than the threat of actual violence. Like women are more like women constantly have to worry about being physically and like violently assaulted. And you can literally just be like yelling at a dude about how, and she actually doesn't even yell, which is another interesting way that this Mm -hmm. handles. Like she's just talking to them in a very like, it's like when you have someone try to explain like why a rape joke is funny, you're like, okay, you know, like when you push back against something, then all of a sudden they're like, well, you know, you're just, you're doing like Sam said, you're just ruining everything. It's like, no, dude, you were totally trying to hook up with this girl who was beyond consent, super, what you thought was super drunk, and you still thought that was okay. Like, right. what part of you, like, how did that happen? So it's like all these interactions that we we're talking about are so great and so well executed and I really like there's just such nuance to it like yep. you know it's it's not um I think as much as I would like to see <laughs> physical violence done just because you know that's, y- you expect that and because we're in full movies. of righteous rage <laughs> yes and also because I'm full of rage um it's, it's really a testament to the writing and directing of this movie that you know, you do feel maybe not satisfied, but relatively satiated by mm-hmm. just the the um, the dialogue that's happening. Yeah, I mean, I think you make a really good point, which is that like it is really it is really like no pun intended. It's really sobering to see how scared they all get when they realize that she's not drunk. Yeah, right. So it's like you can't. And that's a great tool because it shows us that, like, yes, all of... I mean, not that they could argue they weren't, but, like, yes, all of these guys were not only aware that she was drunk, but they were, like, strategically counting on her being drunk. And also, like you said, that, like, their real fear is, like, their reputation or having to face consequences for their actions. Like, several years ago, I reviewed a, a movie for Bloody Good Horror... Um, that was like an independent uh, Welsh slasher film that I found to be incredibly misogynistic and I was very upset about it and I wrote um, a, a, a not kind review for it on the site and the guy that directed it or wrote it or both, I don't remember, um, he read the review and he was very upset and so because he lives in Wales, I like woke up one morning to like, my Twitter was blowing up because he was really mad at me for my review and all of his, he had like quote tweeted me. So then all of his fans were like berating me for being an angry feminist and um, very good friend of mine, Spencer, who used to write for bloody good horror. Like he tweeted at this guy. He was like, I just want you to acknowledge your, your privilege that like your greatest fear is like being misunderstood or being called like having someone critique your artwork or being called a misogynist while like a woman's greatest fear is being like raped and beaten and murdered. Like, yeah. Check yourself, like take a second. And I think this movie does that really well, right? Where it's like all of these guys were knowingly putting her in danger. Like no matter what they were telling themselves to rationalize it, they were knowingly putting her in a situation where she couldn't consent. And the fact that they were so horrified when they realized she was sober was like a genius 
move on the oh, on the writer's uh, part. A hundred percent, completely. Um, so let's get into some of the plot stuff. Like, I want to start by talking about like Bo Burnham, and we don't have to go through their whole arc because I think we can save some of it for when we talk about the ending. But like, what did you think about? a movie that's tackling these issues, sort of like incorporating some romantic comedy tropes. So I really thought, to be honest, at first, so like, you know, we see Cassie living at home and um, like having dropped out of med school mm-hmm. and we find, you know, she, she wanted to be a doctor all of her life with her best friends. And when her, when this happened to her best friend, she drops out. So she's living, like you said, living at home and she's working at this coffee shop and um, can I just say, like, Laverne Cox, I I would watch anything with her in it. Yep. Like, she is yes. phenomenal. And, like, she's just so magnetic on screen. I'm like, God, I want, like, can we just be best friends? <laughs> like, I want to have a work friend like Laverne Cox or at Laverne Cox as my best friend. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. She, um, Laverne owns this coffee shop and uh, it's the, the name is something like so stupid it's like make me coffee or something like yeah so I mean like we don't even ever see the rest of the coffee shop you literally only see the, the coffee counter where Cassie like is constantly like leaning on or like you know doing some like only half ass working essentially yeah um, so I really appreciate that you are kind of I don't know when you see Cassie at night in this like kind of double identity thing you know she's always like made up in these different I say costumes but like these different types of women you know like she's a businesswoman in one she's like super you know what would be called like quote-unquote slutty or like you know like she like a party got, girl or, like yeah like she's like the party girl or you know like you've got all of these like stereotypical tropes that she's kind of dressed herself up as mm-hmm. at night. And then you are assuming that like, you know, her normal self is Cassie at work and, and she's very, um, you know, she's very despondent and detached and she's still like super upset about her friend, which like, I appreciate again too, that we don't really know, we know her friend was assaulted and raped, but we don't know like what exactly happened to her friend until yeah. like more so into the movie um so you know she you can see that she's bothered by this but she's really kind of like just shut off to the world so I really like that when we're introduced to Bo Burnham I mean he comes in and it's not that he's like trying to flirt with her but he's also like kind of flirting with her and passing and we find out that they went to med school together. Like he graduated and is now like a pediatric surgeon. And, you know, I mean, she's like totally unimpressed and is actually kind of annoyed to have been seen by someone who she mm-hmm. went to med school with. And he's not necessarily a, like a jerk to her, but he like says something that's a little, or he's like asking like, why is she working in a coffee shop? Which Right. Like implying like you dropped out of like, med school. Why are you working here? Yeah. Like you could have been so much better. And that too, like, I, at the same time, well, I guess I'll finish that part. Like, I appreciate that when, like, he's immediately, like, apologetic. And, like, he's, like, you know, I totally deserve you to, like, spit in my coffee for that. Like, making a joke. And then she does spit in his coffee, which, like. And then he drinks it. He drinks it, like, as, 
in like testimony to like how much of a jerk he was, I guess. But I was just like, oh, that's so gross. Especially like in COVID mindset, I'm just like, oh my god, <laughs> that makes me want to like, it makes me want to hurl. So anyway, like it's it's a strange like kind of like adverse meet cute because like they've already met, but then they're meeting again, and it's kind of like in a weird. It, it takes it plays off of the weird like manic pixie like oh my gosh you're so cute and smart but you work in a coffee shop and mm-hmm. you know you're like you know you have all these worldly aspirations but you're just stuck here waiting for like somebody to sweep you away so like you know you can have all these other opportunities so I appreciate that you when you are introduced to this kind of like romantic comedy uh, like idea that also simultaneously subverting that idea because she is definitely not into him constantly tells him that she's not into him and is like very verbally like forward about that and he's like okay like totally fine we won't be well he's almost totally fine which is I feel like another it's such an indication of of the whole movie in itself that he's like, yeah, we can totally be friends. I'm like, you know, I really wanted to be friends with you in school. Um, so how about we be friends? And then I'll just like privately always pine, for pine you. over you. Yeah. Which like, it's like, dude, you, you were on the right track. Like you would just say you want to be friends. You don't have to tell me that like, you'll secretly love me forever. Like that's not, she told you that's not what she wants. So yeah. I love the way that that story is set up because I feel like I'm with you where like, I love Bo Burnham. I like, I think he is so charming and he's a great romantic lead. And so like, I think that he is maybe the like quintessential example of like putting a nice guy in a movie and having them be like, not as nice as they seem. Cause I think, I think it's pretty safe to say that like none of the male characters in this movie are without like gross misogynist tendencies and they all play out in different ways and like what I love about the Bo Burnham character is that I'm with you where like watching this movie I was like I felt a little bit weird about there being like a romantic love interest kind of um angle but I was like but I love Bo Burnham and it's like really nice to see her like with somebody like maybe this will like fix her quote unquote, which is like a thing I have been interrogating since watching the movie. I'm like, why did she have to be fixed? But the other thing is that like at every turn, Bo Burnham does something problematic, but like we keep being like giving him the benefit of the doubt, right? Like he says this shitty thing about her working at the coffee shop, which sucks. And then he asks for her number and she gives him a fake number, which like should be an indicator to you, dude, that like, she doesn't want to talk to you, but he comes back because he's like, I wanted your number and you didn't give it to me. So I'm going to come back. And then he gives her the whole speech you talked about where he's like, we can just be friends and I'll just secretly pine over you. But the first time they hang out, he's like, Oh, what a coincidence. We're at my apartment. Do you want to come and have a drink? Like, yeah. And then like, she feels like she fucked it up and she has to go back and apologize to him. But like the first time that they kiss, is like, is after, so he, she cancels on one of their dates and that's when he sees her with the guy, with Sam Richardson. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's really mad and she feels like she has to explain to him um, like why that happened. 
and like that she wants another chance. And in that sequence is when they have their first kiss and like he leans in to kiss her and she does not lean back towards him. Yeah. And he just goes for it. And like, then she does kiss him back. But it's interesting that like, even he as the character who I think we're supposed to like feel the safest with is like constantly laced with these like threats of like looming misogyny. Oh yeah. No, I, th- I think you're totally right. And I, I think that that's, um, you know, I think that's the highlight of the movie is that like, even, even with her being so staunchly like, you know, I'm, I, I, quote unquote, I'm out for revenge or I'm out to like mm-hmm. make a point. She's like, she can't have her guard up enough. Like even, you know, even right. the most like forward and honest conversation she has with someone is still with a love interest potentially. Like even after she's like, I don't, I'm not trying to date anyone. It still revolves around, well, maybe if we just hang out long enough, then you'll want to date me. And yeah. I, part of me hates that that part was used like that yes like she feels like I mean she doesn't explain to to Bo Burnham what she was doing with Sam when he runs into them outside the club when it's very obvious that like she was about to go home with him she just essentially tells him that it'll never happen again and it kind of doesn't happen again like we don't see her like we see her kind of give up not necessarily give up but like at least we don't see her spending her time anymore seeking revenge for her friend. We see her like she gets rid of her little notebook and she gets rid of her Facebook account. Like it looks like she's like, okay, I'm going to let all this stuff go now. Right. Which like I, you know, and I, I'm by no means telling someone they shouldn't let something go or that, you know, I mean, if that's like, you've I understand that everyone has to work through things that they need to work through in their own time. It's, it's hard to like, it's hard to balance it in this movie because you're it it just mirrors what's happened to her friend mm-hmm. in kind of a different way, which I know is the point, but it's just kind of like, do we really need her to like lower her guard in in order to like quote unquote fall in love with someone who's like Bo Burnham tells her that he's in love with her and she says it back. And then of course, as soon as she's like, yeah, I think I'm falling in love with you too. Like the shit like hits the fan. Hits the fan. Yeah. I mean, like, I think one of the things that's really interesting about this movie um, that I think is like not what the movie is about, but gets covered in passing is like Cassandra has nowhere to process this loss. So like what we learn as the movie goes on is that Nina was raped at a party in med school nobody believed her um no matter what she did and And Cassie wasn't there right right exactly and Cassie wasn't there and it like it ruined her life and she couldn't she couldn't recover from the damage that was done by that assault and the aftermath and she took her own life um and so Cassie is now like mourning this huge loss of her best friend that she had known her entire life and what I loved that again I think is like not the point of the movie but is so beautifully addressed several times is that like Cassie has no no outlet to deal with this because like her parents act like it never happened or like she just needs to get over it 
And we see her at one point go and talk to Cassie's mom, who's, or not Cassie's mom, Nina's mom, who's also basically like, you need to get over this. It's like not fair to me for you to keep coming here. And I, I think that's fair for Nina's mom to be like, I can't keep, like, I can't carry the emotional burden that you have because I have my own. But it just makes it very clear that like, Cassie has nowhere to process this. And so like, like you said, Cece, neither of us are saying that you should or should not like, quote unquote, move on from what she's <laughs> gone through. But what's clear is that like, her getting rid of all this stuff for Bo Burnham is like also not the healthy way to handle it. Like, I don't right. think that the way she was handling it was the healthiest for her probably, right. <laughs> but that also wasn't the healthiest thing. Like, but she doesn't have like a safe place to try to work through what she's dealing with. Yeah. Like instead of it, instead of her, her wants and needs and, and dreams slash desires, if those desires are, you know, revenge, um, instead of, those being taken away from her in the way that Nina's were taken away from her after she was raped and then killed herself, mm-hmm. Cassie's giving them up. I mean, it, it, it mirrors Cassie giving them up for Bo Burnham. Like she feels yep. like she, she's giving up that part of herself, you know, maybe prematurely because she's trying to, you know, essentially change herself to, to like, you know, make it better or or kind of be the person that she thinks she wants to be for Bo Burnham's character so like I I appreciate it but at the same time it it does kind of irk me that you have more I mean I I know why it's there and I appreciate it's there but it was hard for me to get through the romantic comedy parts of the film (laughs) yeah like I think it I think I think it's one of those things that like, I appreciate that it's there because I think if you are someone who watches this and you're like, well, I can see how toxic her interactions with these guys at the bar are. I can see how like, this is the one where it's like, okay, we're really going to push you here because like, you like Bo Burnham and we're hitting all the rom-com tropes, but like, look at all these flags that we've put in everywhere that like, (laughs) (laughs) like you might miss because you're like along for the ride. Um, before we get into the ending of the movie, I want to talk really quick about the other like main female characters that we interact with because I think they are both really oh, interesting yes. and say a lot about the movie. So the first one that she that we meet is Madison, played by Allison Brie. Now, what we are to understand is that Madison and Nina and Cassie were really good friends in med school, and then their friendship sort of disintegrated after Nina was raped because Madison didn't believe her. Yeah. Um, and sort of like, it seems like intentionally tried to be like, she's lying. Like she really tried to distance herself from what had happened. And so, um, Cassie reconnects with her and they get together for like dinner or lunch and drinks. And I love this because Alison Brie says this line that is again, like this movie knows what it's doing. And like you said, like it knows the path it wants to take. And it just, you're like, you are just going to be along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Um, but Cassie's kind of like, well, you were kind of like a crazy party girl in med school. What happened? And she says, the thing is guys, they all want a feminist in college, but when it comes down to it, all guys want the same thing. A good girl. Yeah. Which I is think... like so biting. <laughs> oh Yeah. And I mean, I think that that line is is as divisive in in stabbing as the whole like 
cool girl conversation in um, Gillian Flynn's Gone Girl. Like, I think that that's, it's so, I, I, I don't know, like, it's such a conniving way that women are kind of pitted against each other. Mm-hmm. And also, it's such a term that is, you know, so condescending, like, you know, of course, there's, there's multiple ways to interpret the term good girl, but it all boils down to like, submissiveness and it's so frustrating and it's so it's so interesting um that the um the interaction between Madison and Cassie and so just talking about female friends like the the comparison between Madison and Laverne um I can't think of Laverne Cox's character's name um, I will pull it up because I also can't remember. Gail. Gail. So Gail, like, <laughs> Gail is a wonderful friend. Like, she hires Cassie. Yeah. Cassie's a crappy employee. Like, <laughs> like so, openly. Openly a horrible employee. <laughs> but she's, like, but Gail is so supportive and understanding and supportive in a way that's not passive, but is very, like, I understand that you're hurting and that I'm trying and like that I'm here, I'm here for you in the ways that you need to tell me that I'm here for you. I mean, like that in the ways that you need me to be, not the ways that I think I should be here for you. And to see that compared to like, I'm sure that's how Madison, I mean, uh, Madison and Cassie and Nina felt in college, you know, like you in college are the times that like you, you meet these, or you oftentimes meet these lasting female relationships so to like see the change like for Cassie to mention and also I think is a really interesting play too like when Cassie goes to meet Madison like we see Cassie with Gail who is you know Cassie as herself like she can be biting she can be depressed she can be you know bitchy like it doesn't really matter Gail still loves her for being her but when she goes to meet Madison we don't see Cassie from college we see the projection of what Cassie thinks Madison is right now yeah it's another like you said earlier it's another costume yeah it's another costume and I think that that's also really interesting especially like us talking about women not really wearing makeup for you know to be attractive in terms of like sexualness but also like you it, like you like you called it war paint like it is war paint like that's a very like there's a very defined moment that like Cassie's dressing up to to make a to make an impression in this conversation with Madison yeah definitely and like I love that as the movie goes on like we learn that madison was much more aware of what happened at the time than she's letting on and she sort of keeps that to herself until she feels like she has to make it um make it known and then so what really came up for me like watching her character and then the other female character that we'll talk about in a second is like in in the book how to be an anti-racist ibram kendi talks about um, sex racism and sort of talks about sexism and racism and how they intersect. And a term that really stuck out for me from that chapter was the idea of a patriarchal woman. So like someone who Mm -hmm. has 
a woman who has so internalized broader patriarchal structures that like she will work within those to the detriment of herself and other women because that's what she thinks she's supposed to do. And mm -hmm. I think like this movie gives us a really great example of what that, what kind of harm that can cause. Mm -hmm. So we get Madison and then we also get um, the Dean of the medical school yeah. um, played by, why can't I remember her name? Connie Corey. Britton. Connie Britton. Thank you. Yeah. I want to say Corey. I was like, that's not right. Um, who again, like says she doesn't remember and sort of says things like, um, I think she's very diplomatic in the way she talks about what happened to Nina. Oh, like yeah. she says to, she says to Cassie, none of us want to admit when we've made ourselves vulnerable. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and sort of like echoes what we hear in a lot of these, um, sexual assault cases that are high profile is that like, we have to give the men the benefit of the doubt, et cetera, et cetera. Even though we know that like the percentage of false rape accusations are very low and that rape is incredibly hard to prove and the system is not set up for women to feel safe coming to the authorities when it happens and so like it's so um troubling to watch that scene where the dean is sort of like parroting all the things that we're used to men saying but i think yeah like having it be a female dean was a really really shrewd and wonderful choice oh yeah and i you know i think that um, I think that you're right. Like having, having it come from a, a female, oops, sorry, especially one in quote unquote power over mm -hmm. others is such a, um, it's such a biting and kind of gatekeeping point of view, you know, like right. I, like you said, like, I mean, she's, she's used to um the dean is used to working within these confines like she's obviously found herself and worked to become the dean but as as we go to find out like she's very very much um working to keep that and to stay you know stay out of like any type of um you know drama essentially and yeah. I, you know, I, I really wanted to ask too, like, how do you feel about Cassie's, like what Cassie does to Madison? So when she goes to meet Madison, um, we see that when Cassie leaves or like Cassie intentionally gets Madison drunk and yeah. then basically makes Madison think that she's had sex with someone. Like she, like Cassie has hired a random person. Like we don't know if he's an escort. We don't know like if he's, someone Cassie knows or like how right. she really came we and which is kind of interesting too like we don't know where this guy came from but and we don't know what she's asked him to do like initially right. it's unclear like what we find out later is that nothing happened to Madison but Cassie wanted to make her think that maybe she had been assaulted but that, in the yeah. moment where we see Cassie leave the bar like we don't know if what she paid this guy to do was assault Madison right and so then so that situation happens and we're kind of left open-ended. And then we also see before she goes to see the Dean mm -hmm. that <laughs> Cassie goes and picks up this teenager who we have no idea who this teenager is. Um, and again, Cassie's in costume, like she's pretending to be this, you know, um, like makeup artist. And she tells this teenager, or she's asking this teenager for directions and then kind of lets it slip that, you know, she's 
a makeup artist for this band that the teenager is very, very into. And the teenager who was being super flippant at first and being like, I'm, I don't, I don't know, or I don't have time to give you directions, mm-hmm. gets in the car with this woman, Cassie, who like, is, it's also really, I think that's a really interesting scene too, because you have this teenager who is kind of ignoring Cassie, but not because she feels threatened just because she, you know, feels like she has better things to do. But then yeah. she feels so safe because she's a woman that she gets in the car with her yeah. and we just see them drive off together. And we also don't know what happens to this teenager. And we're very well aware that like Cassie's not a makeup artist and that she's like, you know, kind of using this ruse for it to happen. And then we find out that the teenager is the Dean's, um, daughter and Cassie is telling the dean that she's taken her to the fr- the fraternity where Nina was raped and she also is saying like the whole time that the dean's being like well you know I can't imagine you know someone being in a you know like I can't imagine the men of that upstanding ca- caliber would do something like that or that you know you would make yourself vulnerable and then at the same time Cassie, when she, you know, brings up that Nina brought all this stuff to the Dean, mm-hmm. Cassie tells her that, well, you should, here's your daughter's phone. You should really go pick her up from this fraternity because you don't want her to be vulnerable over there for too much longer. Right. And it, it's a really, I don't know, like it, it's a, it, to me, like it's an interesting thing to have happen because you have such camaraderie. Uh, you know, like you see the camaraderie of Cassie towards Nina, but then you see how quick Cassie is to like, I mean, you know, regardless of the fact that like, yes, these, these two women characters are super, super toxic. And I mean, you only really have like what five women characters you have the mom who's played by Jennifer Coolidge. You have Gail by Laverne Cox. And then really like they're kind of, very much background characters the two like you're saying yeah you get like nina's mom for like one scene she has like three lines yeah and nina's molly shannon yeah (laughs) yeah so like really like you're saying the two other main female or women characters are um madison and and the dean so it's interesting that the real interactions cassie has with with women outside of her like very 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 tight-knit group are also very toxic but toxic and I mean kind of like despicable on Cassie's part so I like I I don't know like did you feel like that was an interesting aspect of her personality or do you think like I, I don't know like how did you feel about that yeah I mean I think it really sets you up to sort of ask yourself a lot of questions because I think like you pointed out in both of these scenarios it is not immediately clear that Cassie didn't put these characters in danger. Like it is left sort of as the only parts of the movie where it's left ambiguous and we don't know what happened. Mm -hmm. Um, Cause everything else we're sort of seeing everything as it goes on. And so in both of these scenarios, the movie lets you think that Cassie paid someone to rape Madison while she was drunk (laughs) and it makes you think that maybe Cassie left an underage girl with a bunch of drunk frat guys. Like, and we learn that neither of those things happen, but you're right. It certainly like makes us ask questions about 
the kinds of lengths that Cassie is willing to go. And I think like where I've settled with it is that like, I think for the sake of the narrative of a movie, I feel okay with it. I think it'd be really different if it was like a real experience, but (laughs) I think like, it's interesting that these two women, because they are so steeped in like misogyny and patriarchy, like they are speaking to Cassie and interacting with Cassie the same way that men would. Mm -hmm in a lot of ways. And so I kind of like that she's like, you're not going to be safe from my wrath just because you're also a woman. Like if you are not here for women, I'm going to come for you the same way I'm going to come for a man. I Um, like that, yeah. And she gets, you know, like she gets that line um, to the Dean because the Dean understandably like loses her shit when she thinks her daughter's in danger. And Cassie just sort of like lets her flounder for a couple of minutes and then kind of laughs and is like, I can't believe that you really think I would do that. But then she also says, I guess it feels different when it's someone you love, which again, like is a thing you could say to a woman like that, but also like think of all the male politicians that like finally come around on like women's rights or gay rights because they're like, well, my kid came out as gay. So now I care. Or like my, my daughter was a victim of assault. So now I care. It's like, you should care about this shit. Like it shouldn't have to affect you. Like men that are like, I care about this because I have a wife or I have a daughter. It's like, you should care about this because it's human beings. It shouldn't have to be because it could affect you that you care. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's totally, I mean, that's a very um, pertinent stance to, to need to take in, in this film, for sure. Yeah. Um, so we've, we're already running kind of long, but I want to make sure we get to the ending. So yeah. we will skip ahead a little bit to say that Madison eventually comes back around because she really needs Cassie to tell her if she saw anything happen. And Cassie sort of says like no I'm sorry I should have gotten back to you sooner like everything was fine you know this guy just like helped you get into a room because you were really drunk and couldn't drive um but Madison at that point reveals that there was a video of Nina's assault and then it got passed around in the medical school and that she had seen it and this is excuse me this is harmful because obviously not only does that mean that Madison who was Nina and Cassie's friend knew the whole time that this had happened and she kept it to herself but it also meant that because we learned that Nina took this case to court um, or tried to. And so like we now know that there was evidence that so many people saw and and no one over it. Ugh, okay, so I'm just going to jump back in like describing yeah. the Bo Burnham shit and then we'll go from there. Sure. Okay. So when she's watching this video, she learns that not only was Bo Burnham present when Nina's rape occurred, but he was complicit in it. He didn't do anything to stop it. It's also insinuated that he may have participated, but we don't know that for sure because the video, he tells the guys to turn the video off. And so once she has learned this, Cassie takes the video to Ryan, shows it to him, and then uses it as blackmail to find out the location of the bachelor party of the guy that was sort of the ringleader for the Mm -hmm. assault. Um, So before we get to the bachelor party, like I really want to talk about the conversation that she has with, um, with Bo Burnham, because I think like what we see when he is confronted with this video, he says he doesn't remember it, which like, may or may not be true, right? Like the idea is that they were all very drunk. Maybe that's accurate. Um, 
I think it should go without saying, but in case it doesn't, um, I am a person who feels pretty confident that like, even when I'm blackout drunk, I wouldn't think it was okay to like sexually assault someone who was drunk. Like even when I'm drunk, I know that's not good. So like, even if his argument is I was so drunk, I don't remember. It speaks to the sort of like, um, the, the privilege that men have and the way that men view women, that they think that being drunk is an excuse for this kind of behavior. Um, but also, he like it speaks to the way that men believe that they intrinsically have the right to make mistakes and not have to suffer the consequences. Um, you know, because what he says to her is basically like he wants her to think about what it would do to his career or like think about what would happen if people if this video was out there. And she says, I cannot begin to tell you how much I've thought about it. Yeah. Which is like such a beautiful line because I think (laughs) so many women that are out there that are listening and not just women, but like I'm speaking to women right now. So many women have been victims of sexual assault, have been victims of harassment, have been victims of just like unfettered misogynist behavior that where there is no repercussion. Mm-hmm. And so like, I think that line like really spoke to me. Cause I was like, I-, I felt the same way where I was like, I cannot begin to tell you how much I thought about, like there's a scene early on where these dudes are cat calling her and she just stops and stares at them. Yeah. And it's so good. Right. Cause it's like, so good. I love you are it. having to, it's like a very subtle but easy way to be like, these men are having to deal with the consequences of their actions, which in this case is a woman refusing to be objectified by them. And the number of times that like, you cannot believe how much I've thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's a, it's a really great conversation because it's so, it's so, 180 from their previous like any of their previous conversations yeah and on top of that like it's such a I don't know it's such a defining moment for his character because you you know it's really like it really exposes the the I, I can't think of a better word but for costume but like it really like it really exposes his character for who he really is because regardless of like if you were too drunk if you were too whatever like it immediately becomes all about him there's no like nuance in his understanding or him wanting to like you know like of course he like like tries to does he even apologize I was gonna say I don't think he ever apologizes like he's never sorry he starts off making excuses then he tries to like rationalize with her that she hasn't thought this through. Right. And then when she is still obstinate, he gets angry and starts calling her a crazy bitch. Like, right. Yeah. yeah. And tells her that she, um, God, what is it that he says when she walks, that she walks out the door? He that, says like, if you report me, then we both won't be doctors. Like, or, or like, then we both won't be doctors. You fucking failure. Yes. And it's just like, that moment and like I mean she even responds to it that way that she just like says like nice or something and it's like you you just see that like 
there's no consideration for anybody else. I mean, like he's in a certain, he's in a field of service. Like he's supposed to take care of other people. He's mm-hmm. supposed to be empathetic. He's so, and I mean, he's working with children. So it's like, a, you know, it's a double like on the nose. Like he's supposed to be so considerate and so caring and thoughtful. And he says he loves her. Like, yeah. You don't speak like that to someone you love, even when you're like, he has no empathy for what she's going through. Oh, a hundred percent. So I like it's just such an intense um I don't know it's such an intense conversation and yeah. I really I really liked how it was written. Yeah. And now we get into the ending which as you said has been very controversial and folks have had a lot of varied feelings about it and so essentially Cassie dresses up like a sexy nurse <laughs> and she goes to this bachelor party and like this sequence starts Like, this has been in the credits, but this, or in the trailers, it starts with her parking, like, a mile away, uh, and leaving her car, turning her phone off, and she is walking through the woods at dusk, barefoot, carrying her heels, while, like, an instrumental um, orchestral version of Toxic by Britney Spears plays. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like a reverse Red Riding Hood, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, she's the wolf. Like, these guys don't know what they are in for and I feel like just that is such a powerful image like a woman just like walking into the woods at dusk completely unafraid she's just kind of like fuck it I'm going for it is amazing Um, I mean yeah I mean she's going and I mean I even talked about that I was like it's so it's it's shot so well because I mean she is going alone, assumingly with no, like, protection whatsoever, and right. then going to a remote cabin with a hand... I mean, like, we don't know how many guys are there. We just right. know, like, the address. So it's such a, a, a... It's such a reversal of Little Red Riding Hood, and I love that. Like, I think that's really genius. Exactly. And so she gets there. She sort of, like, does her little striptease, and then she takes... Um, I think Al is the name of the guy. Um, It's the guy from Glow and Veronica Mars um, who's getting married. And she takes him upstairs. And, like, everything about this this sequence is so flawless. Like, her walking into the the woods. And then when she takes him upstairs, the the way the men are talking to him about sex is so gross. Like, these guys are like, she better have to crawl out of here. Like, I hope she can't even walk. And yeah. it, like, you know, it 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 speaks to the way that men talk about sex. Like, you beat the pussy up or you rip it in half. It's oh, like, yeah. why? Like, nobody wants that. Yeah. Uh, no one's asking you to do <laughs> right? that. Like, well, and I appreciate, too, like, not only that, but you're, you're shown, um, you're shown Al's character, like, not wanting Right. Like, he doesn't want this. Like, I mean, the whole thing is, like, he, you know, so he raped uh, Nina in college. And then, like, now he's, like, marrying some bikini model who, like, we don't ever really see it. I mean, we don't see her until the very end of the movie. Um, which, like, she, she, I don't even think she has any, like, speaking lines. But, um, you, you know, like, you see him, again, like, being a good, uh, like, a you know, a good, like, sweet boyfriend, fiancé, who's, like, obsessed with his his fiancé. He has her on a pedestal. He's, like, when, excuse me, when Nina's, like, okay, well, or, excuse me, Nina, when uh, Cassie is, like, okay, well, 
we have to go upstairs or like, you know, come upstairs with me. He's like, no, no, no. Like I didn't want a stripper. I don't want any Mm -hmm. of this. Like he's very against, um, like doing anything with her. And like, she basically has to say like, well, I only get paid if you come upstairs with me. So like, again, he's, he's back in the good guy thing. Like, okay, fine. I'll do this because I know like I'm, I'm helping you do your job. So I also liked that. Like, it's a, there's these last fleeting moments of like, oh, well, you're still a technically a good guy. A good guy, yeah. Well, um, yeah, so Cece, do you want to describe for us what happens when they go upstairs? Sure. So <laughs> so they go into the room and um, she, Cassie, like, you know, kind of like pushes him down on the bed and he's like, okay, well, you know, like, what are we going to do? Just like hang out for a little bit? Like, how long do you really have to be up here or something? Like, they have a little bit of a conversation and mm-hmm. um, Cassie um, ends up straddling him and is like, well, you know, just like, you know, lay back and enjoy it. Like, it's it's fine. Like, you know, nothing's going to happen, I promise. And, and um, she says, like, do I look like the kind of person that would make you do something you don't want to do? Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and of course, like, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, I mean, and I, it's, you know, it goes also to, to say that, like, Cassie and in turn, Cassie or um, Carrie Mulligan, like she's a tiny, tiny person. Like Mm -hmm. she is very, very little. So it's also very interesting that like you have, I mean, not that, um, you know, Al is like a a really tall actor or like, you know, character, but like you can tell that there's like a very large discrepancy in their size. So like she, um, put like he gets him to sit down on the bed. He kind of like, you know, of course, like, situates himself in the middle of the bed but then Cassie climbs on top of him and straddling him and they're still talking and like you said she says you know do I look like the type of person to make you do anything that you don't want to do but while she's saying that she pulls out like you know sexy like furry handcuffs and handcuffs Uh him to the um to the bed frame and I I mean I can't remember like is that when she like it essentially it beca- it's, it's brought up that like he asks her name and she says Nina and like he already kind of freaks out that she says Nina but then she says Nina's whole name yeah Nina and, Fisher and then he yes, like panics he like starts panicking like no like who who set you up to this like I can't remember Schmidt's character's name but you know basically. Um, like, did he, like, did he tell you to say that? Like, you know, I know you're not her because she's dead. And essentially there's a confrontation that Cassie, you know, calls Al out that he, um, that he raped her and she's there. Does she show him the video or tells him that there's a video? I, I don't even remember if she does, honestly. I think she's just sort of like, maybe she does tell him there's a video. She doesn't show it to him. She might tell him. Yeah. So anyway, like we, we see that he's panicking at this point that like, you know, he, he realizes that, um, he eventually realizes that it's Cassie and Cassie makes a point of like, yeah, you probably don't recognize me or don't at first because, um, you know, I really wasn't. I I wasn't too, I think she even says like, I wasn't too fuckable back, back Mm -hmm. in college, which is Mm -hmm. like such a, like, I don't know. It's so, it's such a biting comment. And in turn to him, like, it's not her being self-deprecating. Like, it's very much like you, you were only, 
see like that's what you, that's like the only thing you were doing in college yep. so um like there's this whole interaction and then I can't remember how she gets back on top of him but she like starts getting out her medical kit oh yes yes and yes. he like freaks out and she talks about I wish I had tr- yes. I meant to like actually transcribe her speech but I forgot but she like gives him this whole monologue about how like after you raped her like she was yours and yes. she couldn't get your name like off of her right and like so you should have to walk around with her name all over you and she's like climbing up the bed with a scalpel That's to like right. carve Nina's name into his chest yes so the t- the moment that we're like well not maybe not all of us but the nihilistic rage um crazy we've all been waiting for it <laughs> right like the, the part of me that's like been waiting for this this moment in the whole movie like you're like yes she's gonna do it we're gonna get the like you know girl with the dragon tattoo like revenge moment it's gonna happen um she is getting ready to like cut into him and he breaks the one of the handcuffs and they have this the scuffle that like you and I talked about off um off air like it's filmed like how a rape scene is filmed yep and it's so like I mean I don't know if this actually happened but like it felt like the music cut out in that there's this like just I don't know like there's there's nothing it's really really I don't like it. I say, I'm going to say awesome, but I don't mean it in terms of like, you know, cool. I mean it in like, it's a genius way to approach this moment because, because of what, what we see happen. Like I understand a a lot of the, 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 the uh, divisiveness of this scene Mm -hmm. because um, Al breaks the handcuffs. They're scuffling around. He only breaks one of them. So he's really like that. And that is also like plays into the whole like physicality of, of and physicality and power of rape in general. Like that it right. doesn't Cause like one be... of his arms is loose and she has a scalpel and, and she still can't win. Right. And it's really like, I think that it's genius because rape necessarily, you know, like, yes, rape is a very sexual and very, um, physical act but like yes the majority of of the motivation and maybe not majority but a lot of the motivation for rape comes from power and this is yeah. very much a a rape of power like you, Cassie has all of the things working for her like she has him handcuffed he is you know by himself she has a weapon and yet she still loses this fight and he kind of like flips her over and he like kind of end up ends up like halfway on her halfway not but really he ends up suffocating her with a pillow and like this whole time like he's just like screaming at her and there's no like you know oftentimes we see in in a lot of revenge movies especially like revenge in sexual ways that like the this type of scuffle turns into a very like there's a very sexual tone to mm-hmm. that. Like, especially when the like female is overpowered by a man and there's, I mean, I, from my point of view, like there's no overt sexualness to this scuffle. No. Like it is. Very and even much- though, like you said, like, even though it's such a display of physical power, like emotionally 
he seems so small and yeah. he's like yelling at her that this is her fault and she right. made him do this. And there's like a, a, a sequence or there's like a moment in the scene. And I don't know if this was scripted or it like happened while they were filming and they kept it in, but like, he's like kneeling on top of a pillow on top of her face. Yeah. And he gets a leg cramp. Yeah. And like, like truly just having this conversation about this scene, I'm like feeling like low grade panic. It was so stressful to watch, but like the way that, um, it's like, even this is an inconvenience for him. Right. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. And like, I, I, I totally feel you like trying to talk about it is a, uh, I, I don't know very many women who haven't been in a, a, like this, this is a more relatable, the way that this was filmed as a rape scene is more relatable than any, to me at least, than any like sexually motivated rape scene. Like it, yeah. there's, I mean, of course, like I mean, speaking like, you know, very bluntly, like I, I've been in both types of situations and I would say that like the situation where there's less like sexual, like sexual motivation is just as terrifying because you're you're fearing for your life like you don't know like I, I don't know like it's just it, it's so it's so well done I mean I'm not mm-hmm. saying that you're not fearing for your life in either situation but like it's so well done in this movie that you you tend to I, I don't know like you get very much sucked in like it's hard to like I was cringing during that scene mm-hmm. in a way that I hadn't cringed in quite, like quite some time, and see, like I I didn't even think about the the moment where he like has a leg cramp. But like you're right, like the moment that 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 happens, and really like you see that she's like that she had like he has killed her. There's just such a I don't know, like you just immediately feel like such a like a myriad of of feelings like you feel like disgust and disappointment and like this like I don't know like total like the the despondency that she feels throughout the whole movie Mm -hmm. you immediately feel in that moment yep yeah and I think like what I'm what didn't occur to me watching the movie what is occurring to me now as we discuss it is like his his reaction, like what he does to her, him killing her is motivated by this, like him being overcome with powerlessness, right? Like he yeah. is handcuffed to the bed. This woman is threatening to like physically scar his body and like telling him that she's aware of this thing he did. And I think it will be really interesting to see how people react to this because like, I think there will be people who maybe feel like, I don't think anyone's going to be like, she deserved to die. But I think there will be people that will be like, it's complicated because like she was going to hurt him and maybe he was trying to defend himself. And it's like, but why does he deserve the right to defend himself when a woman doesn't? Or like why, like you said, it speaks to the like physical power dynamic that like he was able to defend himself from her in a way that Nina was never able to defend herself when she was in this situation. And like, The other thing that, like, I was curious about watching this scene 
Um, because I think this movie was a sp- uh, initially supposed to be released over the summer, but I think that was when it was, that was before COVID. Like, I wondered if any of their um, changing the timing had to do with um, what happened to George Floyd, because, like, him mm-hmm. kneeling on her head was equally hard to watch for that reason. Yeah. <laughs> like... No, I mean, that's... A, it's I mean, a hard scene. It's a hard it, scene. Yeah. It's... I, it's one of the... Yeah. I mean, just the, like, the... I, the wanton violence in in such a... Um, I don't know, like in such a, a flippant manner is, uh, I mean, it's, it was hard. And then yeah. I, I will say like, I was, it was interesting to me. So like we see, we see when, when um, Al kills Cassie, that he just kind of like rolls over and he, he's still handcuffed on the other, with the other hand, which is interesting because it's like, well, you know, it, it, it kind of begs the question as to like how he broke out of the one handcuffed if he's still handcuffed. Yeah. And it seems like he doesn't even try. Like I'm sure he's in shock, but then it cuts to the next morning and he's like still yeah. there. And it's like, you just like sat there next to her body and didn't do anything. Exactly. So like there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of questions around that, which um, I know a lot of, um, I've read a couple of like um, essays and op-eds about it, which like, I, I didn't realize at first, but I really appreciated the the take on it. Um, but we don't really realize, um, and we only kind of hear it in passing, that Cassie tells, like, I think Al starts screaming or something, and Cassie tells him, like, oh, no, they are, they're totally out. Like, you know, I, I forgot how easy it was to, like, slip something in their drink. And so essentially, yeah. like, she tells him that she's drugged all of his friends and, so he's stuck up there with her dead body next to him. And this whole time, like, her head is still covered. And, like, it's really it's really hard to see, too, because, like, it, it's interesting. And, like, I wonder if it's I, – I take it as such a, like, feminine touch to it that, like, you don't see Cassie's face after that. Like, Cassie is yeah. dead, and she's – in this whole time, like – you know, he rolls over, but he never, like, checks to see if she's dead. Like, she never, he never moves the pillow. Like, you literally yep. just see her body, and then there's a pillow on top of her head. So, like, yeah. it's... And, like, when Schmidt moves the pillow, we don't, he reacts, but we don't see but her. But we don't see her, yeah. And it's it's very interesting that, like, she as a character is... She as a physical character is removed from the, like, from the whole movie at that point. Yeah. Um, so again, like I, th- I mean, there's so many things about this that I think are really clever and so well done. Um, but when Schmidt comes upstairs, um, I hate that I, we keep calling him Schmidt, but when Schmidt comes <laughs> He'll upstairs, always be Schmidt. yeah, when he comes upstairs, um, you know, he like kind of like sashays into the room and is all like, yeah, like, you know, um, I didn't hear her leave this morning. Like how was last night? Like, you know, you know, kind of like being braggadocious about like, oh, I can't wait to hear like, you know, how it went, yada, yada. And he doesn't initially realize that her body is there. And then when he does, he's like, oh, okay, like, I'll wake her up. Like, come on, girl. Like, you know, you got to get out of here before everyone else wakes up or, you know, we, we won't let anyone know like that you like that Al slept with her. Right. And it's so telling that like, immediately when Al's like 
no, I killed her. She's dead. And Schmidt picks up the pillow and looks at her. His immediate reaction is the defense of his friend. Like not, not only the defense of his friend, but is to cover it up. There's no like, Oh my gosh. Okay. We have to call the cops. Like, you know, we'll figure this out. Like, you know, we'll go the right way about this. It's immediately like, I mean, I, I think he even says like, we're in the middle of the woods. Like we can figure it out or like, we'll just like dump her body. And it's like, that's your first reaction. Like, yeah. Like the impulse for, that came up for me a lot in the final act of the movie is like just the impulse for patriarchy. And I think in the, in the context of this film, we should especially say like white supremacist patriarchy to like yeah. protect itself and maintain its power. Right. Cause it's like, if, if, if Schmidt gets in trouble, like if Al gets in trouble, that implicates all his friends. And they're like, you get the feeling that like him protecting his friend is has less to do with his friend than with him. Oh yeah. And like even later when the cop goes to Bo Burnham, like Bo Burnham, who said he loved Cassie and no full knows full well that she went there also lied about it. And just like, essentially like all of these men when it comes down to it will throw her away like trash if that means protecting like themselves and men like them yeah a hundred percent and i mean excuse me so like to kind of get to that part real quick like we i think the next time that we see alan schmidt's characters they're in the woods yeah and or they're kind of like in this valley in the woods and they have like made this you know this essentially bonfire and we don't see cassie's body except for her hand and we see her her fingernails so like we know it's her Mm -hmm. and schmidt is just like al is distraught in a way but then schmidt is disgusted because he looks down and sees her hand sticking out from the um like the wood pile that's burning and he like kicks her hand back into the fire yeah and then like i think the next the next scene or something is the cot or like you know uh cassie's parents filing a missing persons report and you know the whole time they're like talking about how she's been depressed and how things have been weird with her so essentially there's no like quote unquote real concern at first because she's an adult and because she you know has been working through stuff so the cops already like have a have an idea in their head which like goes to this whole idea of how women are interpreted when they report rape that there's already an idea of 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 that woman regardless of the situation and And then that cop goes to talk to bull burnham and is like leading him he's like is it possible that she would have gone off on her own would she like this cop has already decided what happened and he's just like trying to like get it off his desk yeah like essentially just trying to be like i need you to confirm this so i can stop uh like i can close up this case and like Like get back onto more important things right like the tone that exactly so like bo burnham just kind of blows it off and is like yeah whatever and agrees with him. So then, <laughs> then we fast forward to um, Al's wedding, and we see um, the we see the nuptials. I think like them exchanging vows. Yeah. And then it's the after you know, or the reception, and Bo Burnham is kind of standing there, and Schmidt's character walks up to him, and they're not really friends anymore. But you know, they're the like. I mean, you're, you're friends enough that you were invited to the wedding, but you, you know, just kind of like, 
it's interesting because Bo Burnham has reverted back to the like he's kind of disgusted with Schmidt and and Al regardless of like he doesn't know what happened to Cassie like she could have just gone off but he also knows that she went there with a you know with a goal in mind Mm -hmm. so you can't really tell like is he thinking they did something to her or is he thinking that she's like gone and gotten more evidence and now you can't tell if if he's more worried about his reputation or what they've done to her and not not that he's worried for her but that they've like done something that he's going to also be implicated in Mm -hmm. and so schmidt comes up to him and schmidt who's married says something about like wanting to hook up with the bridesmaids and says some like chauvinistic crap and Bo Burnham's character just kind of like, you know, acknowledges him and is like, yeah, you know, whatever. And so while they're standing there almost simultaneously, we see Bo Burnham get a text message and the text message is from Cassie and it says, you know, um, like scheduled Uh, message sent and so you see it like you know the bubbles like waiting for it to be typed up and then you see a flash forward or you hear the sirens and you see a flash forward of her um having mailed something to this lawyer who she kind of talks to earlier in the film she goes there to like scare this lawyer straight and this lawyer's like like I had a mental breakdown from all of the like all of the men I've gotten off of rape cases and all the like bad stuff I've done so um you know she kind of like forgives him in this which has a lot of like you have a lot of different feelings about that scene as well but yeah it's like a lot of forced emotional labor where he's like I know you came here because your friend got raped but I need you to absolve me because I'm having a hard time it's like dude (laughs) yeah exactly so there's a lot of like weird interpretation there too but um you see him getting a package from cassie and is basically like um she has sent him the phone that madison left her with the video on it and is saying like i you know if something happens to me i've gone to this place like dotted like basically you're shown what she had like put into motion before going there and I think that, um, well, I guess to get to that point in a second. So then we flash back to the to the wedding. The cops show up and Schmidt like takes off running. And then the cops <laughs> walk up to Al's character and arrest her. I mean, arrest him and says like, you're, you know, you're um, being arrested for the murder of Cassie, whatever. And, you know, you see his wife like all distraught because they're in the middle of their reception. And um, then... Bo Burnham's phone gets another text message, um, which, like, the text messages are very, like, they're very quippy, and they're just, like, you know, you didn't think that this was the end of it, did you? Or, like, you know, it's very, it's very interesting because they're so vague and Mm -hmm. very um, kind of, like, almost childlike in terms of, like, teasing almost. And it's interesting because, you don't see Bo Burnham's character get arrested, but you also don't see like, you know, what you're, you're still left wondering like what happens to his character. Right. So I understand all the way from Cassie having being killed to that, the whole like interaction, the wedding, like I totally understand how it can be such a decisive or a divisive ending but the more I've like read op-eds about it and the like I I wasn't I didn't initially feel like 
like cheated out of an ending. Um, but the more I think about it and the more that I, I take it as like Cassie making that decision that she knew she was going there and that maybe she didn't like, didn't tighten the handcuffs on purpose so that she knew that she like, not that she purposely let him win, but that like, you know, she kind of knew like this was the best way to get what she needed. Mm-hmm. Um, is is a really interesting way to to end the film because I mean she won, I mean at what cost? But it's still interesting to think of like she. It's still a conscious decision on her part to use her body in terms of getting what she wanted and and getting the ending and the justice she wanted rather than having her body used against her. Right. And I think like, even if, even if you don't go so far as to think that she like went in there and died willingly, like at a minimum, we know that she went in there knowing that that was a possibility and that that was worth it to her. Exactly. I think once we see the stuff that she laid, that she laid out going in, we know that she went into this scenario knowing that she might not come back and that risk was worth it to her mm-hmm. if she could like protect other women and get revenge for her best friend who she lost. Right. hundred um, percent. So I want to really quick, since it, the lyrics are short, like the music all throughout this movie it's, is amazing. Yes. And like, I would also be remiss to not mention that they show some footage from night of the hunter, which Hannah and I did an episode on and they also play a song from Night of the Hunter in the movie. But I want to read the lyrics because this feels like a good way to like sort of sum it up. Um, So this movie is called Promising Young Woman because in the very famous um, case against Brock Turner where he was uh, convicted of rape in 2016, um, he was still referred to as a promising young man Mm -hmm. despite what he had done, which is where the title for this movie comes from. And with that in mind, I would like us to all take a moment and meditate on the lyrics of Something Wonderful by Nina Simone, which is what plays while they are burning Cassie's body. The song goes, This is a man who thinks with his heart. His heart is not always wise. This is a man who stumbles and falls, but this is a man who tries. This is a man you'll forgive and forgive and help and protect as long as you live. He will not always say what you would have him say, but now and then he'll say something wonderful. The thoughtless things he'll do will hurt and worry you. Then all at once he'll do something wonderful. He has a thousand dreams that won't come true. You know that he believes in them and that's enough for you. You'll always go along with defend him when he's wrong and tell him when he's strong. He is wonderful. He'll always need your love. And so you'll get your love because a man who needs your love can be wonderful. And like, as if this movie as a whole were not enough of an indictment on like all of men, like yeah. this song <laughs> is just like, Hey America. Yeah. And like, obviously America is not the only country where this problem persists. But like, to me, like the lyrics of that song are like for all of you out there that are like Brock Turner, like did a really stupid thing, but he was a good guy. Or like for all of you that are out there, like feeling like it doesn't matter if, uh, Brett Kavanaugh raped that woman because like he's a really smart guy now and he's worth he should be allowed to have another chance like maybe listen to that song and think about like what kind of behavior we all put up with and like 
for men too. I think as you addressed, like there's so many scenarios in this movie where men allow behavior by other men that maybe they don't agree with, but they allowed anyway. I mean, when Bo Burnham talks to Max Greenfeld, he knows at minimum that probably something bad happened to Cassie and that this guy is saying disgusting shit about women. And even if he would not endorse that behavior, he doesn't say anything. Right. A hundred percent. So, uh, well, we have gone on and on about this movie and I could honestly talk about it for the rest of the day, but <laughs> our poor listeners, you know, I don't want everyone's phone to die. So, um, on our very patented scale, uh, Cece, how many Bloody Marys out of five would you give Promising Young Woman? Um, I would say, like, almost a full five. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to go, like, if Hannah were here, she'd make fun of me. Because the problem is Hannah doesn't ever want to review bad movies. And so I always end up giving out a lot of fives. But, like, Promising Young Woman... As we record, it is January 23rd. This episode is going to release a little bit later than that. But, like, as we record, we're still in January. And this is going to be my top movie of 2021. Like, I'm calling it now. Full fives. I love this movie. Um, Four hour in later news. I was really excited to actually have an article that I think pairs really well with this. Um, So I'm a runner. And my partner shared this article with me that was in The Economist. And it was written by Rachel Hewitt. The article is called For Women, Running is Still an Act of Defiance. And I will link it in the show notes. But essentially, it's like part, um, part like her own personal experience as a runner. She sort of, the story is framed through her um, going out for a run after it's gotten dark and how stressful that experience was for her. She sort of talks about how she goes for a run at the same time every day. And it's always like she has just enough time to get home before darkness. But on this one particular day, daylight savings had happened. And so when she left for her run, it was already getting dark. And she was like, it'll be fine. And then the whole run, she was very nervous. And she uses that as a jumping off point to sort of talk about broader um, gender challenges that women face running. And even if you're not a runner, like, I think we all know that women um, and like female presenting folks just like are aware of and carry a lot more risk throughout our daily life in general. Um, so she's just sort of talking about how like historically running has been something that women have really had to fight for and have not been safe doing. And I wanted to offer an example that she shares, um, going back hundreds and hundreds of years, uh, women have not been able to run safely. And she shares a story. Um, and she says at a pub in Bradford, England in 1864, Emma Sharp was attempting to cover 1,000 miles in 1,000 hours and was forced to defend herself with pistols against men who tried to win their bets by pressing chloroform-soaked cloth into her face. Good God. So that felt like a really appropriate yeah. piece of it later news to just remind you that, like, men are trash. And men, if you're listening, like, we like, we appreciate you for being here, but, like, you gotta, you gotta do work. We're not trying to insult you. You just gotta like own where there are some places for you to grow. Yeah. <laughs> um, Cece, if people would like to find you and your work on the internet, where can they do that? Um, so I am definitely on the BGH, um, Bloody Good Horror podcast. Um, so you can find that at, um, bloodygoodhorror.com. Um, I'm on Twitter at calls in the night and I also, um, I do the covers for the Grimm magazine. Um, I occasionally write for, um, the magazine, but 
you, regardless, you should check out the writings of the magazine and you can find that at anatomyofascream.com. And I believe that's all of my stuff. <laughs> nice. Yeah, if you're listening to this and you've never purchased an issue of Grimm, there's a new one coming out in February and Cece does the covers and they're amazing. So Thank fix you. your life and get Grimm. Um, if you want to contact us here at the show, you can write to us um, through email. We are 28dayslatier at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on Twitter at 28dayslady underscore er. Thank you all so much for listening and hanging in there. Cece, thank you so much for coming to rant about this movie of with course. me. Of course. Thank you for having me. And we would be remiss to say that even though Hannah's here, you should still always pee after sex. Take care, everybody. <laughs>